I want to I say that our culture has made it difficult to be a man. It just seems like we've been sliding in a direction, and you can watch it on the media, you hear it, where men are almost like not necessary. You know, we, we can have a family without a dad involved. We can, we can make life go without men. And maybe it's payback for what men did for women for, for so many um, generations. But it, it's sad to see where men are kind of floundering, figure out where do I fit in? What's my value today? And unfortunately, many of us have grown up uh, with a background where we've never been really validated as men. And we're floundering to find out our purpose and our calling. But studies reveal the unique power of a man who has a strong identity of who he is and who is engaged in his family. In fact, it it shows that their kids get better grades, their children grow up to have healthier marriages and relationships, Uh, they're more successful in all areas of life just because that encouragement of a father is so powerful. And so few of us have had it. I look at my life and, and listen to the people around me, so few men that I know personally uh, talk in real positive terms about their father. Like, like people who would say, like, yo, my dad was a great role model, godly man, set an example for me. I mean, that's the exception. Uh, more often than not, the guys I'm around are kind of silent about their dad. It's like there's not much to say. And, and that's the situation I grew up in. You know, my dad wasn't a believer. He struggled, and his father struggled. And so we have this, this pattern of broken men who are raising up broken boys who then become fathers and break their children And can that cycle ever be broken? And I want to say it can be. And we want to do some of that breaking today. I was reading a book um, this week called The Blessing. And it's all about this Old Testament practice where fathers would bless their children. It was a a specific moment in their lives when they um, spoke over their sons, and I think probably their daughters too, but spoke over their kids in a powerful way that was sort of like a transitional moment for them. And in their book, The Blessing, John Trent and Gary Smalley tell the story about a guy named Brian and Brian's dad was an um, officer in the Marines, and he raised his son to be tough. He was not a very emotional dad. He talked to his son that did not show emotion. And so this boy grew up, and he wanted to be like his dad. And so the proudest moment for his dad was when his son enlisted in the Marines. But he didn't do as good as his father. He got discharged because of disorderly conduct. He ended up going on in life to fail in a couple marriages, who, who struggled to hold down a job. And then he and his father grew apart. Until he got a phone call. Brian got a phone call from his mother and said, you need to come see your father. He's dying. And so he drove across the country, halfway across the the, the nation to get to the hospital. But two hours before he arrived, his dad passed away. And so he went up into his room and observers saw this scene. Brian slumped over his dead father, crying out with tears, please tell me you love me. Please just tell me you love me. And it's so heart-wrenching to think he will never hear those words from his father, ever. And maybe you're in a situation where you realize your dad never spoke something over you, and he's not around ever to do it. And so are you stuck? Is there anything you can do to overcome that? What do you do? What do us guys do when when our fathers and then their fathers and generation after generation um, weren't blessed? Well, I want to tell you, we we can begin today to chart a new course for our families. Because I really believe our Heavenly Father can step in and be that Father that blesses you in a place where maybe even your own father didn't. And the reason I say that is because there's a story in the Bible that, that really has intrigued me. We were talking about Jesus this summer, and, and last week we saw how Jesus is the creator of all things, visible and invisible. Uh, we talked before how he's this in, uh, he would appear in the Old Testament in these cameo appearances like the angel of the Lord. And, you know, Jesus has no beginning or end. He's eternal. And so 
the concept of Jesus is like bigger than I could even fathom. And yet, this, this unlimited Jesus confined himself into a body of a human being. And what I want you to think about is when Jesus became a man, he experienced manhood in its fullness. He experienced the things we experience as men. For example, he experienced loneliness. He experienced rejection. He experienced fear. He experienced pain. You have to believe, in fact, the book of Hebrews says he, he's able to sympathize with us because he can identify with our own struggles. He's tempted, but he doesn't give in to temptation. But he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to burn. He knows what all this stuff is like. So Jesus, as a man, comes to a special moment in his life right before he begins his ministry. And we're going to pick this story up. It's in the Gospels. Uh, it's actually in several of the Gospels. I'm going to read the version recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And when I, when I looked at the story recently, I said, you know what, this sounds, this sounds very similar to a patriarchal blessing in the Old Testament. And there are three particular elements I want to point out that I think are a comparison to what Jesus is experiencing as a man at this moment. Now, and I bring this up because Joseph, Jesus' biological father, is nowhere to be seen at this moment. Um, after Jesus was a little boy and got lost in the temple, uh, we don't hear about him anymore. And so we don't know if Joseph died in his 20s, 30s, early 40s. We don't know. He just disappeared from the pages of Scripture. And, and we have to assume that Jesus now is embarking on his ministry. His father's been long gone. His mother's still alive. But now his heavenly father does something that maybe even his own earthly father never had the opportunity to do before he passed away, to bless the son. So these three critical elements. Number one, humble acceptance. Jesus comes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now, do you know why those people were coming to John to be baptized? Because they were told, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. Baptism is a visible, visible physical symbol of repentance. And being baptized in water symbolizes I need to be cleansed of something, of sin. But think of Jesus. He never sinned. He never sinned. Why would, why would, Jesus doesn't need to be washed of anything. Why is he coming to John to be baptized? John the Baptist, who, who when Jesus came said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John says, Jesus, you need to baptize me. I, I, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus says, no, it is, it is to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Well, righteousness means things are are right with the law, legally right. And in order for man to be reconciled to God, something has to happen in a spiritual realm to make us right. And one of those things that has to happen is the Lamb of God will have to identify with sinful man. And so when Jesus is baptized, he's starting his ministry saying, I'm going to identify with sinful man in doing what they need to be done. Not that I need it, but so that I can identify with them. And then down the road at the end of his ministry, he's going to be he's going to die a death he didn't deserve either. He didn't need to be baptized and didn't deserve to die. And why does he do both of them? To fulfill righteousness so that we could be made right with God. So Jesus comes and he's very humble. I mean, 
Jesus could have strutted around and says, ha ha, you guys all need to be baptized, but not me. No, he's humbling himself, doing the Father's will, and allowing John the Baptist to baptize him. But what I want to point out is that Jesus is the one coming to the Jordan for this. He is presenting himself. And we see that in the blessing in the Old Testament that when children uh, wanted to be blessed, they actually came to the Father for the blessing. So Jacob and Esau came to their dying father, uh, Isaac, and came to be blessed by him. Now, he was, his eyesight was fading, and if you ever read the story, you find out that the, uh, Jacob played a trick and, and made himself appear like Esau to get the blessing. And it's a pretty dramatic story, but they came to their father to receive that blessing. You know, uh, there's an old book, the Jewish Book of Rituals, and it says in that book um, how children are to receive the blessing from their father. It says, after they are able to walk, they should go to them of their own accord with body bent and head bowed to receive the blessing. Children are to come to their father to receive the blessing. You don't find dads running down after their kids saying, I want to bless you, I want to bless you. You stop running, I want to bless you. You know, they don't do that. They don't chase them down. The kids come because it's, it's I want to receive it. Father, I need your blessing because you, you can't give a blessing to someone that doesn't want to receive it. That's like even when Matt was leading us in worship. If you don't want what God has to give you, he's not going to force it on you. But he's very willing to give it. And a father is very willing to give the blessing if the children desire it. Now, there's something real interesting in Luke's account of this baptismal story that I want to point out. Luke 3.21 says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. One little thing added to Luke's version. Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. They observe that when Jesus was baptized, he was engaged in prayer too. I don't know, did he come up out of the water and just stop and close his eyes and pray? Did he look up to heaven? But my bigger question is, what did he pray about? I think he prayed about the ministry he was going to begin now. It's, it's, it's like game on. And there's going to be opposition, there's going to be, there's going to be demonic opposition, there's going to be religious opposition, not everyone's going to like what I have to say, there are going to be people out there to kill me, um, it's going to be tiring, exhausting with the constant demands upon me, oh my God, oh my God, I need your help, God, I, Jesus is a man, he's not, we sometimes think because he's Jesus, he's superhuman, but he's, he's living in a man's body, and one of the things I love about The Chosen, the, the movie series we've talked about, or the TV series, is, is the humanity of Jesus. He looks like a real guy. He acts like a real guy. He gets tired. He has a sense of humor. Uh, he's constantly talking to his heavenly father. And if Jesus needs to talk to his heavenly father to get help for ministry, how much more do we in our human bodies need the heavenly father's help? So he's seeking the help of the father. You know, I, I have to be honest. I never sought my father's blessing. I never went to my dad and said, would you pray over me? Part of it is because, well, my dad wasn't a believer. I don't even know what he would give me. So I never went to him. And maybe you never went to your father for the blessing. And maybe your dad wasn't equipped and wasn't the kind of man that you wanted to bless you. But you can come before your heavenly father. If you come humbly, he is willing to bless you. Come humbly. Secondly, there's meaningful touch. There's a famous um, research project done in South America years ago by someone named Renee Spitz. And they, they visited an orphanage where 97 children were being cared for. But this orphanage was strapped for funds, and so all they do is the bare minimum. They fed the kids, they changed their diapers, and they bathed them. And that's it. They didn't cuddle with the kids. They didn't play with the kids. 
They didn't have intimate conversations with these little children, like a, like a parent would do, like a mother would do with their newborn. Th those children didn't get that. And what they observed over the course of a few weeks is that some of these children lost their appetite. And, and other children had this, like, distant look in their eyes, like they're starting to fade out. And by the end of that year, one-third of those children died. They died. And the reason they died was not because of they had a lack of food. It wasn't because of lack of health care. They, they had both of those. They concluded that, that what killed them was a lack of physical touch. They did not receive love from anybody, and they starved. Think about that. How you and I oftentimes crave physical touch. Uh, the chap, Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages, and in that book he identifies uh, five different ways people like to receive love, and one of those is physical touch. Physical touch. And we see physical touch often in the blessing. For example, when Joseph, and the story of Joseph is he goes into Egypt, sold into slavery by his brothers, rises to power in Egypt, ends up bringing his whole family, the whole clan, into Egypt. His, he's reunited with his father. His father's now getting very old. His father's name is Jacob, uh, also known as Israel, the name God gave him. And so as Israel's getting old, Joseph's brothers say, you need to go see dad. You get, you better, because dad's not going to be around a whole lot longer. So Joseph goes there, brings his two sons, um, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so here's what the Bible says about um, when they visited the father. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. Just beautiful. You know, as a grandfather, I love the, getting those kids close, holding them, you know, giving those little boys a kiss. And that's what Jacob is doing. And then he speaks, I think, a, such a beautiful blessing over them. It's not in your notes, but I, wanna, I wanted to read this to you. It's found in Genesis 48, verses 15 and 16. Here's what, Joseph, or here's what Jacob says. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who's been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Remember, Jesus in the Old Testament appeared sometimes as the angel of the Lord. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them may my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. I mean, it's such a, just a beautiful moment. Uh, the physical touch, he places his hand on those grandkids and, and gives them this blessing. And we find this even in the ministry of Jesus where uh, in Mark chapter 10 it says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And then in verse 16, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. There's this whole um, picture that, that blessing involves sometimes just the touching, the touching of a, of a hand on a head, a hand on a shoulder, a hug. You know, there's physical touch involved. I, I think God wanted to communicate something powerful with that. And so here we have Jesus being baptized. And since God doesn't have a body... How is he going to physically touch Jesus? Well, it says the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and rests on him. It's almost as if this very tender, gentle touch from heaven comes and touches him. Why this imagery of the dove? Well, in the Old Testament, when Noah, uh, when the, with the flood with Noah, he sent out a dove and the dove brought back a little olive branch to show the flood was over, the judgment has ceased. Since then, the dove has always been a symbol of peace. And Jesus' ministry will be a ministry of peace, reconciling man with God and man with each other. And so it's very fitting that the Holy Spirit appears in this kind of form 
of a dove. It's, the Holy Spirit isn't a dove. It just appears like a dove. Now, what's interesting is that is the indication that the Holy Spirit now has come to rest upon Jesus in a way like never before. Again, he's a man, and he's going to go out and do ministry. He knows he cannot do it on his own. Maybe that's what he was praying for. And God says, I heard the prayer I'm giving you, the power you'll need, um, the wisdom you'll need, the companionship you'll need to do your ministry. So when you get to the book of Acts, oftentimes you'll find situations where when someone is to receive the Holy Spirit, someone lays hands on them. In Acts chapter 8, it says the, 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 the people who believed had not yet received the Spirit. The apostles are brought in, lay hands on the people so they might receive the Holy Spirit. We find in Acts chapter 9 a story the kids looked at during VBS. Ananias comes to Saul, who had this vision of Jesus, this encounter that blinded him. And Ananias comes and says, the Lord has told me to come to you to lay hands on you and pray for you so that you may receive your sight and receive forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit. There's something, I don't want to say magical, but there's something meaningful about the laying on of hands, even in, even in ministry, the ordination, all those things. There's something powerful in laying on of hands. And Jesus is experiencing it through the coming, I believe, of the Holy Spirit as a dove. You know, my, um, my dad wasn't very affectionate. I think for many of us men... We have learned um, physical touch means two things, violence or sex. We either hurt someone with our touch or we, we want something with our touch. And we don't know, we, we just get really queasy about, I don't know what's appropriate. I don't know what's safe. I don't know what's culturally, you know, PC. What can we do? And so honestly, I would say I would struggle with this a little bit. How do I love my daughter without someone thinking I'm creepy? You know, how, how can I just give my daughter? And so a lot of daughters have grown up without the affection of their father. It's because the dad says, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. I, I use my hands to hurt people, and then I use my hands to, uh, you know, to be with your mom, but I don't know how to just to, to love you. And then when you see dads with boys, it's even worse. So a lot of young men grow up say, never experiencing the affection of their father, and oftentimes it leads them into um, some, some distorted sexual activity because they misunderstand a meaningful touch for sex. And so this is something that, that us as guys, we struggle with, and we're trying to learn how to do this. Now, we have a guy in our church that loves to hug people. And, and actually, he, now he hugs them and gives them a kiss on the cheek. And you guys, a lot of you know Armando. And so Armando does that, and, and I know some of you, when Armando comes around, you, you run for the doors because um, you're uncomfortable with that. But, but there's other guys who actually say, I want my hug. I want my hug. Because we're, just, we're starved. We're starved for that kind of affection. And if we as men are starved, think about your boys. And maybe we just need to start with our kids. Because I think if, if you've never shown affection to your son, and, and he's in high school, and you said, hey, son, get over here. I want to give you a hug. He goes, Dad, what is going on here? <laughs> no way. That's creepy. You know, maybe it just starts off with uh, a touch on the shoulder. You know, a pat on the head, a side hug, side squeeze of just starting somewhere but giving affection. You know, in other cultures, it's not that weird. You'll find actually men holding hands in public, and not because they're lovers, it's because they're good friends. We, we have a cultural barrier in America where we don't know how to show appropriate, meaningful touch, but yet that's part of blessing the young people. And the third, affirming words, affirming words. Another one of the love languages that Chapman identifies Words of affirmation. Here they are. Um, the words are very powerful. Our tongues have the power of life and death in the speech that we give. 
It says in Proverbs 18:4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. It also says gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Flattery and, and, and cheap comments, they just, they're just surface level. But to have someone look you in the eyes and say something true and meaningful, affirming, it, it just strikes us at a very deep place. Um, we love words and songs that, that have special meaning to us. We love quotes from presidents or actors or people that have just stuck with us over the years. We love notes that are handwritten that speak the words of someone um, that we look up to. Words can be very powerful. We are, we, we are blessed when we hear positive words. And so what, what does Jesus hear? This booming voice from the sky. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I, I have to believe it was audible that, that it was heard from by other people, not just Jesus. That there were witnesses says, wow. Listen to that. And think about how Jesus is God in a body, but he's God. Why does he need to be affirmed? Again, he's a man. He has issues he's going to encounter. He has fears that he's going to face. He's, in the, he's struggling with the same things you and I struggle with. And don't doubt for a minute that this didn't mean something significant emotionally for him. This is my beloved son. I think of the titles that I wear. I'm a pastor is a title I, I hold highlight. I love having that title. But you know what? I love even more being dad. I love when my son and daughter say, and it was little as daddy, but now it's dad. Hey, dad. I, said, oh, I love that. You know what I love as well? Baba. <laughs> My grandpa. Someone had a shirt on last service says, dads who do well get promoted to grandpa. Well, I, I don't mind that. I love, I love grandpa. I love Baba. I just love that. It's, it means so much. And I started thinking about the, the name son. Do you know, whenever I got in trouble with my dad, he never called me son. He called me by my first name. Darren! You know, and he was pretty firm and stern. But, but my, my recollection is every time he said the word son, it was tender. Hey, son. And I hope that means something to you. And I believe it had to mean something to Jesus. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Think about this, the timing of it. This is before Jesus started his ministry. He's not healed one person. He's not performed one miracle. He's not cast out one demon. He's not preached one sermon, taught one lesson. And the father says, doesn't matter to me. I'm pleased with this guy. I'm pleased already. Why? Why? Don't you have to earn the pleasure of your father? Isn't it when you do something and then he says, well done, good and faithful son? Isn't that when you get the accolades after you do something? But this is before Jesus has done anything. I'll tell you this. He is loved. And he is beloved to his father because of his relationship with him. He hasn't done anything. That's okay. He's my son. Think of it. When you have a, a baby, that baby messes in the diaper, throws up on you, wakes up in the middle of the night screaming, throws temper tantrums, and then you say, but I love that little dude. I just love that little dude. They haven't accomplished anything. They haven't done anything like productive for your life other than take up time and, and cause you to... Lose, stress, lose sleep and be stressed, and, but you love them. Why? Because that's my daughter. That's my son. That's my child. Think of your heavenly father looking at you like that. 
Because sometimes we think we have to be worthy in order for God to love us. And unfortunately, many of us have grown up conditioned by our parents that when you get A's, you know, you, we get really proud of you. When you made the team and got selected for the play, you know, the first chair instrumental, man, way to go. We're so, we're so happy for you. Mom and dad just can't hold back our excitement. But you don't hear that when you get the C's and when you get cut from the team and you didn't get the promotion. And then it's silent. And what, what it communicates is if I perform well, I please my parent. If I don't perform well, they withhold it. And so we have so many people, men and women today, striving to earn affirmation. And they're, and they're trying to do enough to, to please someone. They're trying to do enough to get someone to say good job. And they become workaholics and very competitive. And, and others get very destructive and risk-taking because they're trying to be noticed. And yet, yet we have to realize there's a Heavenly Father who loves you because you're His child. Jesus is a son. And the Heavenly Father wants Him to be assured of this as he goes forward because immediately after the baptism, Jesus goes into the wilderness where he'll be tempted. So let's look at that real quickly. Matthew chapter 4, immediately following the baptism event. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now he'll use that same phrase on, uh, for one of the other temptations, if you are the Son of God. And listen to this. He didn't say, since you are the Son of God. He says, if you are the Son of God. What does that do? It's, it's trying to raise doubt in Jesus' own mind. If you are the Son of God, if that's who you really are, because I don't know if you really are, and I don't know if you know if you really are, but if you are, prove it. And Jesus needs to realize, I don't have to prove that to anybody. My Father said it, and that's it. And what Satan tries to do, I think with all of us, is to bring temptation in our lives, and honestly, we will struggle with it, and there are times we'll fall to it, and start to tell us, that's your true identity. You know, you, you, you fell to alcohol again? That's because you're an alcoholic. You got into pornography again? That's because you're a porn addict. You, you lost your temper again? That's just because you're hot-headed. That's who you are. And you know what happens? Is we start to realize, I'm not really worthy to be a child of God. Look at what I do. I'm not worthy to wear that title, the son of God, the daughter of the Lord. But remember this, you didn't earn it in the first place. You didn't earn it by your behavior. You can't lose it by your behavior. You didn't become a child of God by being good enough, and you can't lose it by being bad enough. So, so when you start to feel like, I'm a loser, I'm just an addict, I, I'm just a hot-headed person, that, that's who I am, stop it. Stop and say, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the Most High. And I don't have to be controlled by that, bound by that. Yes, I fell. That's a sin. That's wrong. But that's not my identity. I'm a beloved child of God because I've trusted in the Heavenly Father. <laughs> Casting, there's a group called Casting Crowns. Years ago, they had a song, and in the chorus of the song, it says, but the waves are calling out my name, and they laugh at me. Reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The waves they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth tells me a different story. You know, that last month I was watching some videos online of parents at graduations. You know, their son or daughter finally got to go to a public graduation. And so they go walking across the stage. And in the middle of that video, you hear a mom yell out, 
that's my boy, or congratulations, you know, Susie. They're, the parents shouting out. So everybody hears, and you know, the kid's pretty proud of that moment. God said in front of all those witnesses, that's my boy, and I'm well pleased. And I bet that carried Jesus all through his ministry. In fact, there came a time when Jesus, later in his ministry, went up on a mountain and it was the mountain where he was transfigured, and that voice said it again, this is my beloved son. That's who he is. That's who he is. So many of us never had a father love us like that. It's pretty rare. I've got a book on my shelf that, that chronicles a lot of this. It's called Unfinished Business, Helping Adult Children Resolve Their Past. Author Charles Sells says in the opening pages of that book, there's a shocking awareness taking hold of American men like me that we are out of touch with our fathers and that it matters. The last part, and that it matters, meaning it's very important to have that connection to your father. But what if your father can't give that to you? Does that mean you're stuck? Like, I guess I'm stuck, never gonna happen to me. You know what I found for me? It was so healing. I have a heavenly father. That, is, that has become that father for me. And I moved into a place in my life where I stopped blaming my dad for who he wasn't. And I saw my dad as a broken man who never was blessed by his father, who probably was never blessed by his father, and has just continued. And I said, God, let's stop with me. I want to be one who blesses my kids. And I want to even turn it the other way. I want to be one who blesses my father. And so I want this day to be a day for some of you men to be healed. And to know that you are a beloved son. So I'm going to ask all of you to stand. Because we're going to pray. Go ahead and stand. But I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. If you're a man who would like to be blessed by the Father, I want you to come up front here and stand. I just want you to come up. Just go ahead and come up here. Because I want to pray over you. And then if you are a man who's already felt like I feel very blessed who I am and I feel very at peace, I want you to come up too because I want you to, to mingle among these men and place your hand on their shoulders or on their head to bless them, to give them the love that they didn't get from their father. And if you're here with your son or your grandson, that you would place your hand on them or, or put your arm around your son or keep moving up, guys. There's, there's more. Keep moving up. Keep moving up. There, there were men last service, and I know, I know some of these men and their stories, and they're wounded, and they're crying out, and they're crying out for a spiritual father. And I, I can't promise you who will be that spiritual father other than I know this. There's a heavenly father who loves you more than any human being will ever love you. And you need to know today, dads, that he loves you. He, he's proud of you. And if you've trusted Jesus, you are a beloved child of the Father. Do you get that? You're a beloved child of the Father. And so I want to pray over you. I want to have all of you out there to raise your hands toward them, to, to pray in agreement with me that, Father, that you bless these men today. Some of these men are dads, but not all of them, Father. Some of these are young boys, and they'll be dads one day. But, Father, will you bless them? Will you affirm them? Uh, Father, they're all connected. They all got their arms around each other because they... They want that affection. They want that affirmation. And Father, I pray that you'd fill that, that place in their hearts where they need to know that they are loved and that physical touch would even communicate that to them. Jesus, would you affirm them today? Would you let them know that it's not through their performance that they become your child? It's not through their, their doing that they please you. It's just in their being a child. 
Help them to be that little boy. Even though they may be 50, 60, 80 years old, let that man in this room who never got healed as a little boy be healed today. May he be the father that gets healed today. May that young man, Father, who's been wounded by his dad, forgive today and allow you to be that, that forgiving, gracious father to him. Father, bless them today. Speak into their lives. May this be the start of a new generation that the kids that would follow after them and the grandchildren after them would receive the blessing of the Lord through them and through their love. So, Father, we commit these men to you. May this be an unforgettable Father's Day for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we're not done. We're not done. We're not done. Don't go anywhere. Guys, don't go anywhere because here's how we're going to close. A couple weeks ago, I heard this song. And as the song played, I started weeping because I said, Lord, our men need to hear this. And they need to hear this song sung over them. So guys, you don't sing. You just listen. Listen to the words. We're all going to sing it. And the worship team, Pastor Matt, is going to lead us singing this. And may this be sung as a prayer over these men. Would you do that? Let's just lift them up. And guys, I've asked some of our elders, some of our pastors just to mingle among you uh, and, and just to affirm you guys and let you know that we are for you too. Noah, so good to see you here, brother. Let's sing. Lord bless you.